and all of the members of our choir who have so gracefully navigated this season where we have been juggling different pieces. And I also want to give thanks to Lisa Lady and the work that she offered us this last week where we came together for reception to think through the pieces that she has uh, so helpfully collaborated uh, that we're still figuring out what to do with but are no longer in our sanctuary. Uh, so we have a, such a good team of continual people that come together to bring what it is, not only that we experience on Sunday morning, but what we experience throughout the life of our church. And of course, there's so many more folks that I could issue particular thanks to uh, today, each one of us in this room, right? We all come together bringing our gifts uh, to create this space that we call worship. And I mention this today because today we are going to be working particularly with this idea of generosity, of generosity. When I was on a pastoral visit, maybe a year, year and a half ago, I asked one of the members of this congregation here, and if you're here in our sanctuary today, you might not remember this, so hopefully this is safely uh, reflected. Uh, I asked this person, why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? And as this person reflected on their life and on the many things that had happened within the scope of that life, this person said this, I guess I've received so many good things in my life that I just want to come and say thank you. And for me, that was a moment. It was a moment that captured so much. Of course, there are many ways that we can say thank you. We can do it in our community. We can do it through service. We can do it through worship. We can do it in our family. But what I learned from that interaction with this person is that gratitude is not just something that happens one time. It is a continual practice. It is a continual process. And it is meant to be lifelong. In other words, we never come to the end of a period within our lives when we need to stop saying thank you, right? We are always in a place where we can say thank you. Of course, when we teach our children to say thank you, it can feel very forced. Many of us have been through this process I love, for example, being the person at the door at Halloween. Now my kiddos are old enough, they're out in the neighborhood without me, which is just a wild thought. And I get to be the person at the door with all of the younger kiddos coming up to me when every parent sort of asks upon the deposit of the candy, did you say thank you? And every child, including my own, have that opportunity to check themselves, wait, Am I on track with Halloween etiquette? And don't worry, I'm a part of this too. Before my children get sent out into the neighborhood, they get probably a 15-minute lecture <laughs> about make sure you say thank you to every single person. I don't care if you like the candy or not. You say thank you. Do not leave the house until you say thank you. <laughs> it can feel a bit forced. Sometimes. And then there is this element 
of developing thankfulness. Sometimes we just need to put it into practice, whether we feel like it or not. And that's, I think, what parents are trying to teach their children in this sort of military Thanksgiving lesson that happens during Halloween. You put it into practice, whether you feel like it or not. Because ultimately, we are trying to cultivate this. We are working on a practice of the heart. It's really not about Halloween etiquette. It's about a practice of the heart, a spiritual practice called gratitude, called gratitude. Now, Paul isn't exactly speaking about gratitude as he comes to the end of his letter. At least he's not speaking about it directly. He's actually talking about giving. He's talking about gifts. And he's not just talking about ethereal, abstract gifts in this part of his letter. He's talking about real, concrete gifts. He's talking about money. He's talking about food. And he's talking about other human needs that have been met to him by this community at Philippi. It's not just that they patted him on the back and told him that he was doing a good job. It's that they actually gave him real gifts that could sustain him in the course of his ministry and of his life. Now remember, as we talked about early in this series, that Philippi was a Roman colony. It was built around the economy of the mines. So again, it's right along the Greek coast, just above the Peloponnese. If you go north from there, there'll be another coast, and it's slightly inland from that, and there's mines there. And that was where this Roman colony of Philippi was. And it was built around the economy of the mind. So there was wealth within this community. Not everyone was wealthy within this community. Keep in mind, there were also slaves within this community. There were also working class people within this community. But there were also wealthy people within this community. We learned specifically in the book of Acts, and maybe some of you might remember the character Lydia that we come into contact with right around Acts 16. And she was a small business owner from Philippi who dealt with the exchange of purple cloth. Now, what was purple cloth in the first century? It was Google and Microsoft and Amazon, right? It was the places where people were actually making money. And Lydia becomes one of the foremost individuals who is a part of this community. So one could speculate that she is also a giver within this community. And there were also low-income workers within the context of Philippi. And Paul notes that this was one of the only communities in the midst of all of these sort of complexities of this city that this was one of the only 
communities that ended up offering him a support as he goes into the rest of his ministry in Macedonia. And from Philippi, if you follow it in the book of Acts into 17 and 18, he goes down to Thessalonica. So he's traveling along what is now becoming the coast of Turkey. And then he goes into Ephesus. And then he eventually comes back, loops around, and heads to Athens. Okay? So that was real time and real coverage that Paul covered, and he's acknowledging that this is the community that gave him the strength and the sustenance in order to do that. And then Paul does something interesting. He doesn't just mention that he received the gift. In other words, he doesn't just say, hey, I got it. Thank you so much. That was really great. He reflects on something. He reflects on what happens between the two of them in this exchange of generosity. He observes how gifts operate in the gathering of the saints. He observes how gifts operate, how they work within the community of faith. And the radical claim that Paul states is that there is actually something that happens in the life of the giver when this exchange happens within the context of community. There's actually something that happens within the life of the giver. The person who receives, they gain by the gift, and Paul was able to continue in the work of his ministry. But what Paul wants to say is that there's something that happens in the heart of the giver that is actually quite radical. We learn in verses 17 and 18 where Paul says this. He says, I'm not only interested in the gift that you gave me, but I'm interested in what happened in your account. Now, Paul here is not talking about a great heavenly ledger. That's, although that is sort of the image that he conjures up because he's using a mathematical accounting term. But what he's saying is that there's something that's going to happen that's going to be deposited in your heart through the context of this exchange. There's something that's going to happen within your account. And then Paul goes even farther to say something actually that would have in the first century been something unthinkable. Because first he uses accounting language, and then he's going to move and actually use the language of worship. And if you open your text, you can see how he does that. He talks first about accounting, and then right after that, a few sentences later, he says, this is going to be a fragrant offering of sacrifice. Now, where do we see that language in the Old Testament? We see it in the offerings at the altar, right? We see it when people bring their sacrifices into the life of worship. The move that Paul is making in understanding this community gift is that he's saying, you were providing for my concrete needs, but really, you were offering a free gift to God. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice of praise. 
For Paul, generosity within the community is generosity to God. Providing for the needs within those of the community is providing for the needs of God. But not only this, those of Jewish background, which Paul would have been speaking to in the first century, also had the understanding that the fragrant offering was not just connected with how we feel, but it was connected with the idea of practice. And if you go into the Old Testament and read some of the language around the practice of worship, you will see this. You are to bring two turtle doves at this time. You are to bring the lamb at this time. You are to bring the first fruits of the harvest at this time. Right? So within the context of the human life, within the context of the year, there was built into that the cultivation of gratitude. The cultivation of generosity is built into the life of the community in worship. And see, Philippi would know that the fragrant offering is something that needs to be practiced. It's not just a once-off thing, but it's something that the community actually needs to engage in again and again. Generosity is built into the fabric of our faith into even its its most ancient roots. And it is something that continually needs to be practiced. It is not once for all, but it is something that we continue, that we have the opportunity to cultivate as we go through life. It is that ongoing balance between commitment and delight. In the Old Testament, the practice of giving was commanded, but it was also for the upkeep of the temple. It was also so that beauty could live within the context of the community. You see, there is a difference between a giving and a tax, right? There's a difference between a giving and a tax. The difference is within the heart. It is a matter of the heart. The sacrificial giving in the culture of Israel would have offered an opportunity for the giver to grow in gratitude and generosity. Now, having said that, keep in mind that there, even within the context of Israel, was a sliding scale of what one was expected to give. You could bring two turtle doves to the altar, and it would mean so much. You could also bring something larger, like a lamb or a goat, or if you were quite wealthy, a ram. But notice that even within that sliding scale, that there is the opportunity for cultivation of gratitude no matter where you are on the spectrum of what you have. Right? This is not about taxing those to give more. This is about engaging the spiritual practice of the heart so that we could grow in gratitude. 
It's going to look different for every single person. And it should. It was like that in the Old Testament. It was like that in the first community of faith. And it will be like that for us. But generosity is part of the work of the community of faith. It's part of who we are. It's part of our fabric. That we want to be a generous community. And generosity has such a sliding scale that it could look like opening a door to somebody who's approaching the church building all the way to writing a check. There is a giant sliding scale of generosity. Because we don't have the opportunity to judge the gift of the giver. That's not our job. That's the other thing that Paul is saying. You gave this fragrant offering to me. It was a sacrifice to God. It's not his job to evaluate whether it was good or whether it was bad. It was freely given in a way that cultivates and continues the spirit of generosity. You see, generosity is challenging. It will always push us in new ways. And sometimes it will always push us even when we don't want to go there. That was the story, or part of the story, of the first lesson that we had prepared for us today. The third individual who was sent out into the outer darkness is not willing to do one thing. That individual is not willing to join into the spirit of generating. Notice that the criticism that the master gives is not about how much is given. As a matter of fact, the one who gives to multiplies it by two is given the same gift as the one who multiplies by five. But it is the one who is reluctant to enter into any form of generativity that the critical claim is made. But for those that are engaging in the life of generosity, there is no end but only another beginning. That's what the master says to them. Come and join into this other space. You see, your generativity doesn't just end in a conclusion. It only begets more opportunity. And that is entering into the life and the practice of generosity. Why is it that you come to church, I ask our beloved member. I come because I want to say thank you. There are so many ways to say thank you. When Doug and I were in our late 20s, we were living with a family overseas who had just invited us into their home and had made space for us to live there with them for about nine months. I can never repay them for what they gave me. I never, ever, ever can even if I tried, because what they gave me was so much more than rent. 
so much more than food, so much more than safety. What they gave us was that they gave us the gift of belonging. I can't pay for that. That was a gift that was given by a generous community. So in response, we've decided that the best thing that we can do is to give what we can to others as a very, very small way of trying to live out that legacy of what we've received. Friends, we live on a generous planet. We serve a generous God. This week, we are about to embark on a generous feast. So let us continue to move into the spirit of gratitude and generosity. Let us pray. Gracious and generous God, we thank you for all of the gifts that we have given, even the ones that we cannot see. We pray that you would open our eyes to notice them, that you would enlarge our hearts so that we might, too, continue to engage in this practice of saying thank you, even when we don't feel like it. Lord, help us. And let us know that we do this because of what you will do through and in us. In Jesus' name, amen.